dealing with just a principle. We, uh, this is something that has been changing my life and, and helping me and my understanding of the Word of God and even life as, in general. And uh, I believe it's a real foundational principle, but as we shared at youth camp when I was there and started studying this uh, Luke chapter 15 and the parables of being lost, you find out there's not three separate parables, but it's one truth taught in three areas, and they, they all make come together and explain to us what it means to be lost and what it means to be found. So this morning I want to shift gears a little bit and talk to you a little bit more about what it means to be found. But the three areas that are there when you read Luke 15 and the parable of the sheep and the coin and the son is a loss of direction when it comes to the sheep, the sheep that had lost his direction. It is a coin that has lost its value by virtue of being lost. You can have a $100 bill. If you don't know where it is, it's of no value to you. Even though it has value, it is of no value until it is in your possession. Amen? So he speaks of lost value. And then with the son, it speaks of lost identity. The son lost his identity as a, as a son, what it meant to be a son. And many of us have been through that phase in our life where we were growing up. We lost the identity of sonship or daughterhood. And, and so we broke out against our parents, went and in our own way. We assigned our own value for our life. I don't live by my parents' values. You are old-fashioned. I have my own value. I have my own standard. I'm going to go in my own direction. And then we find out that what's out there is a wall. And we have a head-on collision with the wall. And then we come back to our old identity. And God restores us and we have value and those type of things. And so I want us to see that this morning. But also I, I want us to understand that when it comes to living in this, getting past the old and entering into the new is a great challenge. And as we do through the Billy Graham Crusade, in my hope, it's one thing to invite people into our home and to help them come to faith in Christ. But that doesn't mean that they're going to make it. Amen. It's going to take more than that. Being born doesn't mean you're going to live a successful life. Every, the goal and the dream for every child born, where babies being born right now, the goal and the dream and desire that every life would grow and be successful. But just being born is no guarantee of growing and being successful and having a great life. There's some other elements that come into play in order for every life to grow and be successful and, and be productive. Would you agree? But many times when it comes to Christianity, we think all people have to do is be born again. And so consequently, we're only ministering birth. We're not ministering life. Are you with me? And so we'll see some things this morning. Go with me to John. And uh, let, let, let me just say this and, and, uh, in laying this down because people say, Pastor, this sounds really repetitive. Well, I'm sorry. There is only one message in the Bible. From, from beginning to end, the message of this Bible is the redemption of mankind. The story is this. In the beginning, man lost his true identity. It changed his values and his direction. God has been on a mission to give man back his true identity, reestablish his value, and renew his direction in walking with God. It's a whole Bible. I don't care where you read it, whatever it is. It's, there's nothing deeper than that. If you're called to the ministry, no new message. You're not going to preach any other message. There, there, there's no, salvation is the message of the gospel. Amen? 
The world is dead in sin. The world has a sin issue. And the answer is, how do we deal with the sin? How do we get victory over sin? There's just one message. Years ago, Glenn Rayner used to say this about brotherhood. He said, brotherhood only has one message. He just preaches it a thousand different ways. And that's the truth. I only have one message. I'm just going to come at you at a thousand different directions. Every epistle said the exact same thing. Every gospel said the exact same thing. Every prophet said the exact same thing. Every prophet's message was this. You've turned away from God. Come back and He'll restore you. Every prophetic, every prophetic book is, Hey, my people, come back. You're going in the wrong direction. You've chased after the wrong value. Come back. Let me give you back your identity. Let me give you back your value in me. And let's get back on the direction that I have for your life. Okay, I'm done. That's everything I know right there. <laughs> so, amen. But the bottom line comes down that once I know that, then the next time, okay, now that i found that, how do I live this life? And so what is it, when the son came back to the father and he has restoration, now how do I live? I was lost and I was dead, but now I'm found and I'm alive again. So how do I live this life of restoration? Before we read John chapter 9, let me read the introduction, then I want to read through all of John chapter 9 and give you a few thoughts. It's imperative that we understand that the Bible is not just a book of stories. I need to say this again. It is rather the only Holy Spirit inspired and dictated account of the acts of God amongst men to reveal His heart, display His glory, and to reveal His purpose to those whom he, upon whom He would set His name. Because if the Bible is just stories, then it can be questioned and doubted. But when it is His own factual account of His dealings with men and the performance of His word, and will in the earth, then all doubt and question is erased. Stories come from imagination, but the Bible is a book of revelation, meaning that God is revealing Himself to man. The last book in the Bible is called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And so God reveals Himself to us. Hear me, God's Word was never meant to be reduced to just merely bringing comfort and consolation to us in our times of sorrow, trial, and hardship, which it does most effectively. Thank God for the comfort that it brings to us in trials and hardship. But it is more than that. But we have reduced it down today to just trying to comfort everybody in their problem. The Bible is not just about comfort. It is about transformation. Because many times the problems and the scenarios that, that have taken place that I am in are connected to a root sin problem. And you can comfort me in my sin, but if you don't pluck the root out of my life, you're not going to help me by just comforting me. And so there's a root issue that must be addressed there. And so with that, we understand that the Bible is so much more. It is a life-changing seed that transforms us and gives new birth and life to the very fabric of who we are. This is about new birth. Nicodemus came to Jesus, and Jesus said, Nicodemus, you got a lot of knowledge about God, but you need to be born again. You must be born again. And so it brings new life. When Jesus taught the parable of the sower, he said the sower sows the word and that word gets planted in the hearts of men and it produces life. Every, so many 
uh, parables and illustrations about sowing in the seed. You and I are born again by an incorruptible seed. Your spirit is likened unto a womb of a woman and the seed of life is planted on the inside of you. And when you conceive the incorruptible seed of the life of God, the life of God is now alive on the inside of you and Christ is being formed in you. Your outward man is perishing but there's a new word man that is alive unto God on the inside and though the outward perishes, the new word man is being renewed day by day. So it is new life and learning how to live and identify with this. The results of our tr- the results of this is is that our true identity is declared and found, restoring our value and setting this back on course and headed in the right direction in line. The word of God was never meant to just merely comfort us and then leave us as it founded, only feeling better. Comfort, yes, but leave unchanged never. I want to comfort people. I want to encourage you. We want to have compassion one for another. But just to leave you comforted but not changed is not the word or the will of God. Can you agree this morning? And so when we understand that the purpose of God's will is to affect a permanent change in our lives at the very core of our being. Again, restoring our true identity, value, and direction. This is so much more than just a placebo effect of of an encouraging word or a non-confrontational little homily. The Word of God gives us identity, value, and direction through the power of resurrection, which is complete transformation. Now, I said this a while back, and, and I said a few things about the placebo effect, and I meditate on it. I haven't put it into a whole message yet. But in this area, I wrote this down. The placebo effect is medicine given merely to humor the patient or to comfort the patient. It, 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 it's, it's nothing. It is a placebo. It, it is a phony. It is a sugar pill. It is whatever. It, it is telling somebody they had a procedure when they didn't have it. But, but it just humors or comforts. And the word placebo comes from a root word that means this, I shall please. And that's what's happened in the church world as a whole. Ministry thinks, if, if I just keep pleasing people, and if I say things that please people, they'll come back and hear me more. This is not about you coming and hearing me. I have an assignment from God. I, I was an old sinner. I was saved. And God sent my life. He gave me purpose. And the purpose He gave me is to proclaim truth. To preach means to proclaim. If I'm going to proclaim, there must be something that is worth proclaiming. And it must be something that is worth asking you to come here. And it has to be something that does more than just comfort or gives us some kind of mental ascension or, or just seeks to please us where we are without ever changing us. It has to be a seed that contains life, that can transform, and it's beyond what man can understand. So the placebo means, placebo happens, here's what happened. When we come and we tell people, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know you can believe in your head and never change in your heart? And so people hear a message, I, believe, I, think I, I think I believe in that. I've heard people tell me, well, you haven't heard anything that I agree with or, or I disagree with. I said, I could really care less because I didn't come to ask you to agree. I came to proclaim the truth that I believe is absolute truth, which is God's word. But there's a, there's a cultural mentality that doesn't approach life in that direction. So life, listen to me, life thought to be conceived through the mind is only placebo life. So when I'm just agreeing with God in my mind, but nothing's being planted in my spirit and I'm not being transformed, that's only a placebo effect. Because your mind is not a womb. 
Your mind can't reproduce life. Your spirit is a womb. So you can walk up and try to convince some young lady, you're pregnant, you're pregnant, you're pregnant. No, you're not. Not unless she's conceived seed. She'd go, I believe, I agree, I believe, I agree, I believe, I agree. You believe, agree all you want. There ain't no baby being be born out of your ear. Hello? There, there, there's no... Are we doing all right? So we think life is in our head and our, and, and our ear is a birthing canal. It's not. Hello? You have a... Are you with me this morning? And so this is on the inside of us and where it takes place. The mind cannot conceive life, only the womb or the heart of man. Years ago, a pastor friend of mine down in Stockton, Mark Filkey, wrote a book, a great book. It said, I'm pregnant and I know who the father is. What a great book, amen? And that whole part is that God, you and I are pregnant with the life of God. And we conceive, we conceive the life of God. It's life-giving seed had been sown inside of it. And so what does it mean to be found? What does it mean to come to life in Christ? We're not asking you just to mentally agree. My goal as a pastor, as a preacher, giving my life to the ministry is not to just people go away. Oh, I agree. That's a nice message. I, 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 I don't find any fault with that. We're not looking to come together in a common mind. That's not our goal. Jesus didn't come to preach agreement. He came to impart truth, and that truth was life. He said, I am the life of the world. Are you with me? I'm the life. I came that they might have, I, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Isn't it amazing with all the dissenting opinions that came against him, he never sat down and tried to reconcile with those. He just said, this is the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. End of discussion. End of debate. Anybody challenge? He, he, he never got caught into that or tried to work around. Are you with me this morning? Follow with me. John chapter 9 and verse 1. What does it mean to be found? Now Jesus passed by. He saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parent, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. John chapter 1 says that men sat in darkness. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was the will of God, and God came forth, and he was the light of of men and light shone in darkness and darkness comprehended it not but he is the light of humanity and Jesus is declaring that what John said Jesus is proclaiming about himself right here verse 6 and when he had said these things he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, Hey, I am he. Or it's me. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes open? He answered and said, a man, everybody say a man. 
a man made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. Verse 13, they brought him who formerly was blind. Everybody say formerly. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes. I washed and I see. Now listen to me. How many have tried to explain what it means to be saved to somebody? And they look at you like these people questioning this guy. How do you make, what do you mean clay on the eyes? How do you see? There's no way that can happen. Are you listening to me? So it's the same type of scenario. But how many know you're saved? And whether they understand how you got saved or how you received your sight, it doesn't matter. You have received it. You know that you're saved. You know that you see. You know you're alive. Whether they get it or not, you know. All right. Just making sure. Okay, now what? Then the Pharisees also asked him. He said, he put clay on my eyes. Verse 16, then some of the Pharisees say, this man is not from God but because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such thing? And there was division among them. Then they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. Everybody say a prophet. Just a minute ago, he was a man. Now he's a prophet. Are you with me? Verse 18, then the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked him, they said, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? The parents answered and said to him, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees we do not know or who opened his eyes we do not know. He is of age, ask him, he will speak for himself. How you been? I love when our children get to the age of disclaimer. Amen. Amen. Now what? Verse 22. Now watch this. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Isn't it amazing that Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword of division. The, your enemies will be those of your own household. That many times when you find your new life in Christ, that many times the first place you face opposition and division is in your own home and family. Amen. So stay with me. So therefore, again, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Verse 24. So again, they called the man who was blind and they said to him, give God glory. We know that this man is a sinner. It's my favorite part. And he answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know. Everybody say one thing. One thing. Let me just tell you, you don't have to be very smart. You can get to heaven on one thing. On. One thing I know. That though I was blind, now I see. Praise the Lord. Then they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eye? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become what? His disciple. So why? Jesus went from being a man to a prophet, and this guy proclaiming, I'm following this dude. I don't know who he is. I don't know where he is. But I am now his disciple. Verse 29, we know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said, why, this is a marvelous thing. 
that you do not know where he is from, and yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, this has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. How many of the boys preaching pretty good right now? From a blind man sitting by the road, from a blind man sitting by the road, can, can you see that something has now happened? This man had an identity as a blind man, but now he is a man who sees. He was a man who had no value or accreditation, but now he has value, and now he's even declared that his life has whole new direction because he is a disciple, and the disciple is a follower. Stay with me. Verse 34, then they answered and said, you were completely born in sins. And are you teaching us? Seems to be that way. And they, now watch, and they cast him what? Out. Wow. Now let me just say this again. What it means to be found sometimes that you'll find yourself being cast out of the places where you thought you would be accepted. Being rejected by those that you thought would rejoice with you. Amen? But never lose the focus that the rejection and, 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 and the removal and, and, and the being cast out is happening because someone greater than all of that has identified with you. The Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Verse 35. Jesus heard that they cast him out. This is powerful. And when he found him. So Jesus heard that this man, so he's just walking by, and, and this guy, and I love this story because this guy just sitting there going through his daily routine. Somebody had led him to the place where he had a license to beg. He had a beggar's coat. Somewhere he had a license to beg, and he could beg there. So every day, being born blind, he went and he begged off, and people were giving money to help him support himself because being blind, he couldn't work. And so Jesus just comes by. People start asking questions. Well, why is this? What's up with that? And so the disciples are doing their theological debate with Jesus. Who sinned, this man or him? I always wonder how you can sin before you were born. Because the disciple says, who sinned, this man or his parent, that he was born blind? Did you get that? Who sinned, him or that he was born blind? So he must have been, he must have put mama through the rigmarole. He must have, man, I, this kid made me sick from the moment I found out. I had morning sickness. So that, I mean, I, that's the only, I don't know what else a kid could do before you're born. Kick, you know, go through the whole pregnancy with your leg out like this or whatever. Mom's stomach looking like that. Whatever. So before you're born, I don't know what your sin would be. Amen? But the disciples figured there had to be something there. How many know that we ask some pretty stupid religious questions? Just saying. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? See, he didn't know who the Son was, but it's amazing that Jesus came. So, let me ask you this. Remember I read ago that the Bible is not a book of stories, it's a book of revelation? What is Jesus doing right here? He's revealing who he is to this man. And if you and I, once we're found and we begin to walk with God and we begin to embrace this restoration, you'll find that Jesus will always come to where you are. He will find you wherever you are. If you're going through rejection, if you're going through be being ostracized and being put out, He will find, and it's because you're standing for Him, He will come to where you are. He will speak to you and He will reveal Himself to you. Somebody ought to say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. So stay with me. And we'll finish this. And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. 
Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world that those to this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Wow. I don't know about you, I want to be in the first half of that verse. Amen? Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words, and they said to him, Are we blind also? And he said, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. Look at the inside of your outline with me. When we come to the Father... Through Christ, we must allow ourselves to be clothed, changed with His identity upon us. When we come to the Father through Christ, we must be willing to accept, embrace, and live in and by our restored identity. We now have new defining characteristics as to the means of our recognition and as to who we are in Christ. How many know that that's what they said about this man? Is that him? It looks like him. I don't know. Seeing was not a previous recognizing characteristic of his life. Him being able to see, people didn't recognize him as a people be, person being able to see. When you come to Christ, change takes place in our life. We don't just believe with our mind and not have any change. But people, when you come to Christ, people can see that a change has taken place in your life. And you look like the old person, but they're not sure that it's you because the characteristics of your identification have changed. And you have a new identity in Christ. Amen. It is, that's why I say it is easy to accept forgiveness, but it is harder to live in restoration. Everything the Father did for the Son when we looked at that was to completely restore His identity, value, and direction. Everything God the Father has done and given to us through Christ is for the same purpose, total restoration. The blind man we just read about has now been given a new identity, restored value, and new direction for his life. He went from being blind to being a seer to being a disciple and following Christ and worshiping Him. He is no longer blind. He is no longer a beggar. And He cannot go back to where He was. Are you with me? Hear me. I'm talking to you this morning about, we, we, we spent a few weeks talking about what it means to be lost and, and how we go down that direction when we allow other voices. How many know loss of identity always comes with a voice? It'll never be any other way. In the garden, the, the, the devil came to Adam and Eve with the voice and he challenged their identity. He caused them to devalue where they were, think less of what they have, lose value, lost value in their sight, and then to choose a new direction with their life. The same thing will happen in your life. It, this isn't going to change. If you can get this, this will be transformational to your life. You can run everything through it. I shared with the men this morning as I was going through this, and I don't want to stay too far off on this, but no matter what relationship you come into, if you come into a relationship, it's going to change your identity, and depending upon how you value that relationship, it's going to change the direction you go in. Two people come together, they want to get married. And so what that means is that you now have to find a new identity. You were a self and now you're going to become a joined one. 
Your identity has changed from being a self to being a joined one. One that is joined with another. I am no longer a self to myself and for myself and by myself. I am a joined one. And now my value is no longer in myself. My value is in the life that I now have with the one that I have joined myself to. And by virtue of the fact of finding a new identity of no longer being a self but being a joined one and placing great value in the relationship of the one that I am joined with, that now redirects all of my life. So when my old life comes along and my homies and my peeps or whatever we call them today comes up and says, hey dude, let's go hang, let's go do I'm sorry, but I have a new identity. I am no longer a self who can go and do what I want to do. I am now, I'm no longer an individual. I am a joined one and I value your friendship, but I value the one I am joined with further and so I can't go in that direction anymore. I have changed my direction and I have set my face this way. I love you, you will be my friend, but you will not alter my direction that will devalue my relationship, that will destroy the identity I have with the one that I am joined with. Somebody ought to say amen. And it doesn't matter where it is. Now when you come to Christ, it's the exact same thing. You are no longer an individual. You are one joined with Christ. You are joined to, you are one. If any man be in Christ. And Paul wrote in, in, in 1 Corinthians, and, and he said, the man and the woman come together and they become one flesh. In Christ, you become one spirit. And so your identity, you are no longer a self. Everybody goes, well, I'm a believer. I'm an, no, you're not. You're a member of the body of Christ. There, there are no individual believers in the body of Christ. You are a set member in the body of Christ. And your value and identity is where He sets you and the purpose and the direction that He assigned to your life. And if you don't accept that identity, then you have to add a different value to your life and you have to define a ministry that lets you go in, the, in your self-willed direction for your own life. Come on. It's quiet in this Holy Ghost Bible-believing church this morning. Amen. So what? He is faced with living with a new identity, reformation. He was faced with the same scenario that each of us must face. We are now new creatures in Christ Jesus. We cannot live with the new identity and values with the new identity and hold on to the, the values and directions of the old. You can't live in the new with old identity, old values, and old directions. Let me say it to you. You can believe in Christ and live with your old identity, live with your old values, and keep going in your old direction, but you can't be restored and do that. You can't be born again and do that. And, and I read the blind man for a reason. Listen, he was blind, couldn't see. Now everything about him has changed. He is no longer blind. Amen. He, he's no longer blind. He can see. This thing keeps falling off. Forgive me. Back on. Thank you. But he can see. He can see. He can see. And being able to see means he's no longer qualified to beg. Yeah. 
because the qualification to beg was I was blind. But you're not blind anymore. You're a seer. So now you have to take the responsibility of being a provider from a beggar to a provider. You now have a higher value in life. You've been given by virtue of sight a higher value. And so now every day your direction is now changed. Your direction is not to walk to the place where you begged. It's to move to the place where you can now provide. And now you and I, we come to Christ. And so, they be, is, is he the one who was born? Now, he has to decide, am I going to be identified the rest of my life as the blind man? No, thank you. That's who I was. That is not who I am. I was blind. He said, I, this is I know. I was blind. Now, I see. And there's an area in this that has to happen to your life and my life. What it means to be found is when you come to Christ, you are given a brand new identity. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. This blind man is a living illustration of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. The old man has passed away. He is no longer blind. He is now see. The lame man at the gate beautiful. Peter walks up and says to him, hey, get this. I know that I'm saved. Not only do I know that I'm saved, but I know that God has anointed me with the Holy Ghost and power and he's given it to me in such a way as a value and as authority that I can give this away and so he says to the lame man at gate beautiful look on me silver and gold I do not have but what I do have the value that I do have now in Christ I have it in a way and with authority to give it away to you in the name of Jesus Christ rise up and walk and immediately the man who had been lame in his legs for 38 years and carried to the temple and had begged who had looked to Peter and John expecting to find for them to give him something he gave them what he wasn't looking for he gave him a renewed identity, a renewed value, and brand new direction. So the lame man can't go back to the temple the next day and sit there and beg, hey, I'm the guy that was lame but is now healed. How about some change? No, dude, you were lame and you used to beg, but now you are healed. Go get a job and give to the lame and give to the poor. Or do, are you with me? But see, everything is chained. With that comes that identity. So, but the lame, the blind man has to deal with it because you and I, in your old life, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and you and I had an identity in our old life. And when we're sitting around, it's so comfortable to us to go back to the identity of our own life. And when we're talking, we're talking as blind people, as dead people, as sinners. We're talking out of our old life. We walk back to this place. We sit here. We sat here so long. We've got a butt print in granite. Shaped like a tractor seat that fits you only. Because you sat there forever. And so when you talk, you're talking out of your old nature, your old identity. And when you think about value, it's hard for yourself to see yourself with all the value that God has given unto you. And then you wonder why you're having such a hard time following Christ. 
Because you've received His forgiveness, but you're not walking in restoration. It's easy to be forgiven. We preach the gospel of forgiveness, but not just forgiveness, the gospel of restoration. The Father did not just run to the Son and say, Son, I forgive you. The Father said, Son, I'll restore you. And I am not going to allow you to see yourself again as a failure. You do not have identity in where you went or in what you did. I've placed a new identity upon you, and I've restored you. And I've put a ring that put my full authority back upon your life. And I put shoes back on your feet. So now you can get back on the path that you were created to walk in the first place. Glory to God. But see, what happens for you and I is that everybody around you kind of, oh, I know you. That's why I quit going to class reunions. I'm proud of some of our young kids. They can go to see what some of you young people, you have a reverse scenario of me. Because some of you got saved in high school. And now when you go back to your 10-year reunion, they're going to expect you to still be saved. And if you show up and you've given up your identity that you proclaimed in high school, don't shout me down when I'm preaching real good. But see, I didn't get saved in high school. I got saved several years after stupid. Some of you went to that same school with me. And so when I go back to my high school reunion, they expected me to be stupid still. And then when they found out, not only am I no longer stupid, but I am now a pastor, they're like, no way. And the last high school I went to, we were playing golf after, after, after on, on the, we had the Friday night thing, and then on Saturday morning we went and played some golf. And I went my old buddy back with a hash pipe walking. The guys, we're in our 40s, and the guy's walking down the road. Down the thing, pulling his car, smoking hat. I said, dude, we are out of high school. Grow up. And I'm 60, and I still got guys that I went to school with smoking dope. They are totally stupid. They have never left the... Oh, anyway. Need to ohm for a minute or something. Meditate. <laughs> pause. See law. Pause. Calmly meditate. Amen. But the blind man, the blind man. How many know that everything changed about his life? And so the most natural thing to do is to still identify with. Let me put it this way: If you have been through a disease or an illness or you're battling that, that is not your new identity in Christ. And we should not be talking our past conditions. On see my score. No, no. Now wait a minute. Because if I keep identifying with that old... And then I wonder why, how come I keep battling sickness and disease? Because your old identity was sickness and disease. Your old identity was death. Your new identity is you are the redeemed of the Lord. But it's hard to embrace that. It's hard to declare that. Because 
out of my old identity, I have a failure complex. And out of that failure complex, I carry self-condemnation. So it's hard for me to give value, to give the same value to myself that God has given to me. Go meet Ephesians chapter 2. Are you with me this morning? I have to quit. Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to this how they amplify. Ephesians 2 and verse 10 says, For we are God's own handiwork, His workmanship. Isn't that what just happened to the blind man? The blind man sitting there. What did he do? Absolutely nothing. I said, How were you born blind? I do not know. I was sitting there. I heard, <laughs> and go wash. I'm like, I, I can agree with that. <laughs> Amen? That wasn't hard to agree with. Go wash was easy to agree with. Okay? And so I said, I don't know. A man named Jesus made mud, put in my eyes, told me to go wash. Now I see. That's it. I am, my condition is a result of His workmanship in my life. I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't asking for it. He looked upon me and said that God, His will was to restore me. He came to restore. He came. His purpose in coming was to do the work of God in my life. Not for me to qualify to be worked upon. Not for me to be accepted. Grace is upon my life. His unmerited. I came in contact with unmerited, undeserved, unqualified favor. And He did a workmanship in my life. For we are God's own handiwork. His workmanship recreated in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. Born anew that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which He prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them living the good life which He prearranged and made ready for us to live. That one verse right there declares identity, value, and direction as a whole. The whole gospel is that man lost his identity in the garden. He lost the value of who he was in relationship with the Father, and it changed not only direction for his life, but the direction for all of humanity. I have it in my note. Maybe some of you watched it the other night, or last night, yesterday afternoon, it was on, and... Uh, uh, the, the, on the Discovery Channel had, had a thing on, uh, on how the earth made man. I thought, well, that's curious. So I sat down to watch it about halfway through the two-hour program, about halfway, and when I turned it on, they were talking about the negative nature in humanity. And so scientists in evolution are baffled that you have a negative side. And they're trying to figure out that how do you come out of ooze and slime and out of the DNA of the cosmos and end up with something negative in your life. And so then they go back and they trace us back to your, not mine, but your great, 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 great grandfather, the chimpanzee. <laughs> and they find out that in Africa, which is the womb of most of all of humanity, on the evolutional uh, scale, they find out that the problem, that, that there actually is two strains of chimpanzees. There's one strain that is combative and fighting and doing everything else, but there's another strain that is entirely peaceful and shares and never fights and never kills, never does anything. So there's bad and good chimpanzees. The problem is, the problem is, is that the good chimpanzees lived on this side of the Congo and the bad chimpanzees lived on this side of the Congo. And somehow, 
through the course of earth and how earth was shaped and as man evolved, man was stuck over here with the bad chimpanzees and we were never influenced by the good chimpanzees. So these guys who have survived haven't created any men to follow them, but somehow they survived. The stupid ones over here with the negative stuff somehow got some men to evolve out of them, but the good guys couldn't get any men to evolve out of them, and it's all the fault of the Congo River that kept them apart. I mean, I can wrap my brain around that. I totally agree. That's awesome. I'll spend the rest of my life just declaring that. Hallelujah. You think I'm kidding. You Google it. Go to Discovery or History and Google how Earth made man and watch the story. And they're going, that's it right there because we put some of those good monkeys in a cage and they're still good to this day. <laughs> well, dude, go suck some DNA and start sticking it in some babies when they're born. Maybe we'll get a whole new generation. Hallelujah. Bill, can you come back to the keyboard? I've totally destroyed this message. <laughs> Look at the inside of the last page of your outline. Look at this. There's more than just a prayer to being saved. It takes more than a prayer to be saved, guys. Hear me, hear me. The only place newborn babies raise themselves is in the church. Because of the mindset that Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The mindset of this world is reject authority, has been for a long time. Reject, don't accept authority. And so you get saved with an old mindset and the place you used to sit says, I don't accept authority. I don't submit. You want to hear something interesting? Martin Lloyd Jones wrote this book and uh, 1940s at the beginning of World War II preaching to his church. And he said this in regard to men today talking about the wrath of God, the judgment of sin. And he says this, with regard to the argument that the belief in the wrath of God has vanished as a result of the disappearance of the Victorian type of the stern father, the facts surely are these. Men cease to recognize God as the one to whom they are responsible, under whose eye they live. So a sense of discipline and order gradually began to disappear from all the relationships of life. A man who does not live a life of obedience himself soon ceases to be concerned about the fact that his own children should obey him. The result is that discipline in the home has been sadly neglected. Children no longer respect their parents as they should. And quite frequently, these children have become the tyrants of the home. Wow. Wow. The fact that those who were brought up under the stern and strict and often hard discipline of former times had actually deeper regard as well as a greater respect for their parents. 
And I'm not saying that about strictness, but what it says, this is in 1940s. That's the mindset of our day today. And when it comes not just to that, but he's talking about this on, on judgment or, or authority on all different levels. And with that, man has a sin problem. But nobody wants to deal with their sin. The church doesn't preach on sin anymore. And it's like coming up to the guy who's blind and saying, you're not really blind, you just have a mobility dysfunction. You're not blind, you're just mobily challenged. And if we could help you increase your mobility, we could improve your life. No, my problem is I'm blind. Blind Bartimaeus didn't say, hey, can you make it easier for me to get around? Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus said, I want to see. What I'm saying is that salvation takes more than a prayer. It takes this. This is a new life. It's being born again, living the new life. Being born again and, and living the new life are two different things. Birth is a beginning. Life is a journey to an expected end. Being reconditioned to a new life and living with this new identity, value, and direction is not something that is accomplished in a 30-second prayer. No more than a child learns and receives everything, they will need to live their life in the delivery room. To truly accept and live by the change we experience in Christ means living completely new. The old things have to pass away and all things have to become new. The key issue is to understand, for us to understand, is that Jesus did not come to make our lives more comfortable or even better. Amen? Uh, trying to think of the guy's name, the way of the maker. Uh, um, Anyway, Kirk Cameron and him, but, but, but they teach about putting on a parachute in a flight. The stewardess came up to you, hey, I need you to put this parachute on. Chance a plane may crash and you might have to jump. You put it on and go, wow, this is really uncomfortable. I like this, it's making me uncomfortable. I can't sit back, I can't get it. Well, I'm sorry, we didn't actually put it on to make you comfortable. We actually put it on so you will survive the jump. And the reality, the truth is, is that Jesus didn't come just to make our life more comfortable. And that's what I said. If we change the word of God just to a comforting word, then when the discomfort of living the new life comes, we take it off. But the problem is, guys, you're going to have to jump. And if you have on when you jump, it, it's not the, how many know it's not the jump that kills you? It's the abrupt landing. Amen. The suddenness at the end. It's that sudden stop at the end. Think about it. He came to bring us back to... Listen to me. Please hear me. Jesus did not come to make us comfortable. He came to bring us back to life from the dead. From the death of sin. Humanity has a sin problem. We are dead in trespasses and sin. We need to be resurrected. The only way for that to happen is for Him to take our sins upon Himself, to die for the punishment of our sins, to conquer death, hell, and the grave, to be raised to life on the third day, and then to impute His righteousness to our account. Now we can accept His atoning work on our behalf by faith, and then live our lives in and through the power of restoration that we have received in Him. Now let me just close with this. 
We have the journey and the encounter, as I said, that comes up. And the reason we do this is that it is threefold, taking you to the cross for identity, through the cross for value, and with the cross for direction. Too many are agreeing with the love of God in Christ, but living with the identity, values, and directions of their old life. They become frustrated because they're in their minds, this Christian stuff is not making a difference in their life. The end result is that they too quickly go back to their old identity, live by the old set of values, and return to the old destructive direction that their life was in before they tried to believe in God. This is not just a belief. This is death, burial, and resurrection. Which is why Jesus is going to all the world and preach the gospel. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Baptized means, Paul said, we are raised, we are buried with him and identify with his death. And we are raised in newness of life. The blind man at the end, he was here and he realizes I am now his workmanship. And I have now been raised in this newness of life. I now have to go through a process. In that moment, he said, Lord, who is he that I may believe in him? He says, I am he. And so now he begins to live this new life. of I'm no longer blind. I no longer have to beg. I don't have to go back there. I have brand new identity, value, and direction for my life. I'm going this way. I'm going this way. And I stay there. When people ask, are you the blind man? No, I'm the sea man. Blind was my old man. I was blind. Now I see. That is not my identity any longer. Everything about your past is not your identity any longer. Amen? Bow your heads with me this morning. There's some of you here this morning and you've struggled in this area of identity. And you're beyond just believing. This isn't just believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. You're beyond believing. You said yes to Him with all your whole heart. You've received His forgiveness. You're saved. You're born again. But this process of renewal is challenging you. Because the most natural thing to do is go back and sit in my old identity. And to embrace my old values. And to walk in a direction that is just comfortable and just comes natural. But to live this new life is a press and a push. And as I step out to live it, I find myself being ostracized from people who I thought would accept me. And even people who are close and near to me I don't want to take any responsibility. They identify, but I'm being rejected and pushed away by them. And that, that's painful. But if you will continue... In that restoration, the same thing will happen to you that happened to the blind man. Jesus will come to where you are. He'll reveal himself to you. And he'll comfort you in that place. And he'll strengthen you to keep going in the direction that he has for your life. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Some of you here have wrestled even in the area of previous conditions in your body and areas like that. There comes that place, God. I believe that you want me healed and something about us I agree with him man has a negative problem but it's not because of the Congo or one chimpanzee was separated from the neck the negative problem of our life is sin 
and the byproduct of sin is pain and death and sickness and disease. But I'm not a sinner anymore. I'm now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So are you. And your identity is you are the healed of the Lord. You are renewed in strength. He renews your strength. Psalms 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, who forgives all of my iniquities, who has healed all of my diseases, who renews my youth as the eagle, who crowns me with loving kindness. Come on, that's your new identity in God. That's who you are. And you find your value in it. God sees me. That's the value that God has placed upon your life. And you need to allow God lift that value in you. And there might be one person here this morning, maybe more, that you're like that prodigal son. Maybe today you've come to yourself and you would just look at, you know what? I'm in the place that I'm at. My life is where it is at right now because I rejected the identity that I know that God had for my life. I allowed another voice to make me find fault with that. And so, and, and I despised the value that I had. And I allowed that to take me in another direction. I've gone far away from God. But today I know God has brought me back. And I feel the Holy Spirit wanting to bring that restoration. And the Father wanting to completely restore me. If that's you, if any of this applies to you on any level, whether you're a prodigal coming home, whether you are somebody that's wrestling with old identities, that would you just stand to your feet right now? God wants you to have victory, just like this blind man. He wants you. Jesus is coming to you right now. He wants to minister to you right now in this building. Come on, we come together for this purpose. He said, I have come that you might have life and have life more abundant. Life on the other side. He wants His grace to come upon you. You are His workmanship. He wants to do that work in your life right here today. Anybody else? Anybody else? God's speaking to you. God's speaking to you. If you're standing, just move right to this altar and find a place of prayer. God does a work in us. He doesn't need our help. Holy Spirit doesn't need our help. But when you come and you meet God and you pray, and as they're coming, if our elders will come, we want to pray with you. If you're here this morning, a few months ago, I was wrestling with, and my right arm would just ache for no reason. I don't know what it was or doing whatever, but, but I had a joint problem in my arm a while back. And God gave Teresa a word of knowledge about people who have a problem in their joints and in their elbows. And ever since that day, God's healed me, and I haven't had any other problem with that. God is still a healing God. He is still who He said He would be. And I've said this before, and it's hard, because when you declare about healing, Sunday night, I just went to a memorial service for a youth pastor's wife who died of leukemia, who was 47 years old. And people go, well, if he heals today, how come he didn't heal her? I said, I'm not in that answering business. I just know that I'm called to preach the gospel. I don't deal with individual cases. I can tell you time and time again, my testimony is that God has healed me. He caused new skin to grow on third degree burn. He got me through hepatitis C. He healed my elbow. He is still a healing God. He is a healing and a redeeming God. And you are the healed of the Lord. Teresa had a word this morning. If you're having trouble with your liver, if you're, if you're battling a career change, if you're having uh, headaches and, and it's causing a, a kind of a blinding and, and causing your vision, somebody here is battling depression, overwhelming depression, or you're having, again, there it is, elbow tendonitis, something in your elbow that is bothering you, then please come up so we can anoint you with oil and pray over you real quick. If that's you, move right now. So our leaders are here. We have oil. We want to pray for you. Any one of those areas, anything you're having in your liver, something you need in a career change, headaches, uh, blinding, depression, 
and uh, overwhelming thoughts of depression, tendonitis in those areas, whoever that is, come on, let us pray for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.